History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its Decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. A lot going on around the world today, but, uh, certainly on the Justin News website. We've got a lot of breaking headlines. I'll get you up to speed on those in just a few minutes. But first, I'm going to give you an outlay of today's show. We've got a good one. The House Speaker, Mike Johnson, and a CODEL, a delegation of U.S. congressmen, are down at the southern border today touring the border. It's one of the most high-profile trips ever taken to the border at one of the most critical times in the history of border security. Why do I say that? In December, it is expected that more than 300,000 illegal aliens cross the border. We won't get those statistics for a couple of weeks, but my sources tell me the number will almost certainly exceed 300,000 in December. That is an all-time high. Never before in the history of the United States have we had that large a number of illegal crossers in a single month. Now, separate of that, I broke a story over the New Year's Eve weekend that confirmed that ICE, the Immigration Customs and Enforcement Agency, for the first time reports that there are 6 million, 6 million illegal aliens currently awaiting court hearings or disposition of their cases. That is an all-time high. Never before in the history of this country have 6 million unlawful entrants to this country been waiting and kept in this country for some form of proceeding. That in itself is a major headline. That's why Mike Johnson's there. That is why so many members of Congress are there. It's why Marjorie Taylor Greene met before the Christmas holiday with Mark Green, the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, and got Mark Green's commitment to begin impeachment proceedings against Alejandro Mayorkas at the beginning of the year. Mark Green, the chairman of that committee, today announced that on January 10th, one week from today, the first of several hearings on the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas as Homeland Security Secretary will commence. And it will commence with testimonies from the Border Patrol chiefs, those who control the various border sectors that are patrolled by the Customs and Border Protection Agency. That is a landmark, landmark decision. And it will have a profound impact on 
the outcome of the 2024 election, the behavior of the House and Congress, the possibility that we might see an impeachment. It might not be Joe Biden that's impeached. It may be Alejandro Mayorkas who is impeached. So that is a very important dynamic. And today, we're going to kick off our show with somebody that knows a thing or two about the border. That's right, Mark Morgan, former commissioner, acting commissioner of the Customs and Border Protection Agency, former FBI agent, one of the most trusted names in law enforcement and border security. He's going to join us to talk about what's really going on, what's at stake in the trip, what House Republicans need to do, and what are the risks of House Republicans with if they don't actually secure a border deal with Joe Biden and they allow the border to go unfettered and in this insecure state for another eight to 10 months until the election. That is going to be a very powerful and important conversation to be had today. And we're very excited to be focused on that issue. In the second part of the show, Nick Giordano, a great political science professor, one of the great voices in free speech in the college campus community, a man who has been warning for years that the diversity, equity, and inclusion, the CRT, uh, and other liberal indoctrination philosophies were causing damage on campuses, turning out students who were indoctrinated, not educated, that were going to be anti-Semites. We now saw what that looks like in real time. He's going to join us to talk about the extraordinary resignation last night of Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University. She resigned after six months and two days in the job, making her the shortest tenured president in Harvard's history. But there is a significant fallout, a significant consequence across the Ivy League schools and, quite frankly, across all colleges. We want to make sure we get to that issue with Nick Giordano, who has been, I think, one of the most important sirens for sounding the alarm going back four, five, six years now about what's really going on in our college campuses. And then we're going to round out uh, the conversation at the very end because it's Wednesday. It's AMAC Wednesday. That's right. Our good friend Bobby Charles is here. He's going to walk us through all of the key moments in news the last couple of days. Uh, some new news will break tonight. It may be a little bit later in the show, later in the day, I should say, not in the show. It'll probably be after this show's live for sure. The clerk for the judge in the Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit confirms that the documents naming the John Doe's and Jane Doe's, 177 of them allegedly, will be released tonight. By midnight tonight, they'll be released. That is a big and giant announcement, certain to have a profound effect on a lot of people, uh, including the 177 John Doe's. We'll get to see how often and why Bill Clinton was mentioned, uh, whether Alan Dershowitz, Prince Andrew, many of the other names that have floated around, what they'll be saying and what will be said about them. Uh, remember, Donald Trump has, there are court documents showing that Donald Trump threw Jeffrey Epstein out of his Mar-a-Lago resort because of concerns about his behavior. That will have to weigh into some of whatever comes out tonight. But there will be uh, a significant release of documents tonight. How do we know that? My good friend and colleague here at Just the News, Stephen Richards, got that directly from the court clerk today. That is a big, big news development. We're keeping close eye on that. Hey, my friend Sean Hannity, I'm on the show often. He announced last night he has formally moved and will only broadcast from Florida. Now he's done. He's done with the New York scene after four decades of being a New Yorker. He is now in what he calls the free state of Florida. That's a big development. And it follows that forced migration, that economic migration dynamic that we've been seeing throughout the United States. Roger Simon just wrote a book on this. He's a journalist 
and screenwriter. And he just wrote a book on economic migration in the United States. Uh, he calls it America's Economic Refugees or Ec America's Refugees. We're going to bring him on the show later in the week. You're going to enjoy that conversation. It's a really thoughtful conversation. One of those refugees, Sean Hannity, he found refuge in Florida, escaped blue New York. And that, of course, is going on people escaping California, Oregon, Washington State, New York, New Jersey, places, Connecticut, places that have gone too far to the left for most common sense Americans. And so that's a really big development as well. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., we've been trying to get him on the show. I hope we will. He's been a big fan of my reporting on Anthony Fauci. But uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. got on his first general election presidential ballot in Utah as an independent. We expect more of those to happen over the next year, but uh, over the next few months, but uh, a big milestone for him. And a really important story by Madeleine Hubbard, who does some fantastic work on anti-Semitism, on national security, on the border. She put out a, an important story today that Al-Qaeda's Arabian Peninsula branch has released a video in English threatening New York City's energy grid, its subway system, airplanes, raising the possibility once again of suicide bombers as the group relaunches its English language magazine, Inspire. What does this mean? Well, it means that Al-Qaeda has rehabilitated itself under Joe Biden. It's gotten stronger and spread out and feel strong enough after years of diminishment, particularly under Presidents Obama and President Trump, to relaunch a lot of its propaganda and threatening machine. That is a scary thing. Uh, the, by the way, the English language museum magazine is named Inspire. Hmm. It should be called Death because that's what they cause. They cause hatred and death across this world. But Al-Qaeda is doing much better under Joe Biden, much like Iran is doing much better under Joe Biden, much like Hamas was doing much better under Joe Biden until it created that heinous attack against humanity when it attacked Israel on October 7th. So many very important conversations about terrorism. Terrorism is at a higher threat level than we've seen in two decades and I think that that's one of the reasons why this uh, Madeline's good story, the headline, if you want to go on the Justin News website, is Al-Qaeda threatens NYC energy transportation with suicide bombers and relaunches its English magazine. Just one of the many signs of how much more unstable the world has become under Joe Biden's leadership. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you got caught up on the headlines. That's pretty good, right? Now we're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Mark Morgan will join us right after these messages. A very serious discussion about the border on a very historic day at the border. That's right. House Speaker Mike Johnson down there right now with the congressional delegation. We'll cover all that in a few minutes. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? 
It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. All right, folks, welcome back to the commercial break. I wanted to kick off today's show with a very important discussion about the border. You've been seeing the daily coverage. We have it just the news. Uh, the big ICE report over the weekend. We now, for the first time in our history, have 6 million illegal aliens sitting in our country waiting for some sort of court adjudication, a number that has crushed the system and put all of us at risk. If that message sounds familiar to you, it's because our first guest has been preaching this for three years. He's the former uh, commissioner of the Customs and Border Protection Agency, and he has been the most sage voice when it comes to warning about the impact of Joe Biden's border policies. Mark Morgan is joining us right now. Mark, Happy New Year. Good to have you on the show. John, Happy New Year to you. This moment we saw coming, you've been predicting it, uh, whether it was the, C- uh, the, the CB1 app, uh, the lifting of Title 42, you saw every step of the way what the Biden administration was trying to do, which is to create an impossible situation at the border where we just get overrun. Now a moment of reckoning today. Speaker Johnson's down at the border with a large codel of uh, members of Congress. How important is that and what do we need to hear from the speaker to feel better? Look, this is the, 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 the defining moment in the past three years. This is where right now American people, they've got to demand that Republicans show the political strength, courage, and will to do the right thing, to force this administration, John, to reverse its open border policies that's jeopardizing every aspect of our nation's safety, health, and national security. This is what, it, what, what we don't need. Kip Roy said this, so I'm paraphrasing what, what Congressman Royal said. What we don't need is just another meaningless photo op and dog and pony show. But look, I, I'm not saying that at this point that's what that is. The only way that they're going to show that that's not what's happening is that we need to hear something very specific from Speaker Johnson. He needs to be very clear and unequivocally what his demands are. And his demands should really be H.R. 2. 
H.R. 2 is the yeah. strongest piece of border security legislation that's been passed. And I get it. For political reasons, they don't want to say H.R. 2, but th- that's whatever. They-, they can play whatever political games they want. But we need to have key elements in H.R. 2 as part of the budget proposal that goes forward, meaning they've got to address and prevent that a continuation of asylum fraud. They've got to end catch and release. They've got to make Secretary Mayorkas actually enforce a law with respect to detention and lawful removal of illegal aliens that are in the country. We need to also reinstate some form of the Remain in Mexico, and, of course, we need to build a wall. And we could go on and on with other elements of H.R. 2. But, John, if they do those things, and we hear that from Speaker Johnson, that he's saying the right things, the last element is, is that what we need to hear from them is that they're going to absolutely – the border, they're not going to fund another dollar to, 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 for some other nation to defend and secure their borders without us securing and defending our own borders. And they're not going to pass another dime to DHS unless the Biden administration agrees to what I just outlined. Yeah, it's so important. And um, uh, HR2 has all of the best thinking of Always. security experts, people that have been on the front lines, yourself and the border yep. chiefs, uh, border patrol chiefs who've spoken. There's been an interesting dynamic of the border patrol chiefs speaking out and, and really taking the opposite side of their boss, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, that is a rare dynamic. It doesn't happen often, but it is a real warning sign that the Border Patrol chiefs realize they, they owe the American people the truth, no matter what storyline Mayorkas is, is feeding them. How important is that dynamic that the Border Patrol chiefs are saying, hey, border, border walls actually do work. We, we do have a crisis. We are stretched thin. The ICE report came out, a, a second agency, not the CPB, but ICE saying, hey, we're not going to lie. There's a crisis at the border. Yeah, John, look, that's another key thing, and that's why, you know, my hats are off to, to Chairman uh, Mark Green, who, who, who serves as the chair of the House Homeland Security Mid- Committee. For the past six, seven months, he's been conducting an inquiry with respect to the dereliction of duty as Secretary Mayorkas. He went through a five-step process just a, a month ago. He completed the fifth and final stage of that, and now he was recommended impeachment proceedings for Mayorkas. In fact, next week, they're moving forward with official impeachment proceedings. And so he actually created this forum for the career border patrol agents uh, that under oath, they're going to do exactly what you said. They're going to be honest. They're going to tell the truth. And they have told the truth that, the, that, that what's happening on our border is complete chaos and lawlessness. And as you said, it is policy driven. And we know that from day one, this administration took the most secure border in a lifetime and they intentionally unsecured it. And look, and I hear uh, on the impeachment side, John, I hear a lot of discussions. Well, you know, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Who are we going to get to replace them? Look, that, that's not that, that's not should be what our concern about. Our concern is right. is that the Republicans are actually stepping up to hold somebody accountable. And this is what's going to be important. The actual impeachment proceedings is going to shed tremendous light on the dereliction of Secretary Mayorkas, his abdication of his oath, his refusal to enforce the law, and he's jeopardized our nation's safety because of it. The American people are going to hear the truth for, for, for the first time. Yeah, it's such an important message. And a lot of people said a few weeks ago, what good is it if we uh, we call the Harvard professor up to Conquer the Hill? She's going to keep her job. And, well, today she's unemployed. So sometimes starting an accountability process creates a dynamic that nobody saw coming. And I think that the fact that Mark Green has put that in motion uh, creates a, a real opportunity to get not only a, an important discussion going, but maybe a form of accountability pops up that no one saw uh, coming out of left field. The Democrats have to feel the pain. You saw recently uh, the Arizona governor, who, by the way, was a pro-open border governor at the beginning, got rid of some of the task force that were dealing with security, 
took down uh, uh, former Governor Doug Ducey's border wall. But even she in the last couple of months has doubled back and like, oh, I'm going to send the National Guard there now. Democrats uh, in states even far from the border now realize that Joe Biden's created a political liability for the 2024 election. Is that contributing a little bit to the dynamics right now? I think it is. But listen, I, I think we have to. Be, be very careful before we give too much credit to some of the Democrats that we're hearing right now. Oh, yeah, we don't want to give them credit. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I think I think the, uh, one side of it is it is it, it's. I mean, we're CNN, MSNBC, and other some of the the mainstream media folks have refused refused to cover this for the past three years. They're finally being forced to talk about it because the Democrats uh, across. The currency are now saying, "Hey, this is unsustainable." But that's where it ends, right? Because yeah. they're not—they're not actually blaming Biden administration's policies. They're not actually asking for a shift in policies that's actually going to secure our border and, and to actually address the cartels and prevent them from pushing drugs, criminals, and national security threats across our border. They're simply just asking President Biden to give them more U.S. taxpayer funding to manage the crisis right. after it's already in the United States, rather than secure a border and prevent it from entering. Keep it going, but just pay for it. That seems to be their message it, right that, now. And, uh, that's exactly and that, John, that's it. That's a big buzzword, manage, right? Secretary Mayorkas, yeah. the joke of the secretary is he keeps saying, hey, we're managing the crisis. No, if we learned anything from 9-11, we don't want to get good at responding and managing after the crisis has already impacted our homeland. We want to be good about proactive prevention of the crisis. We don't want to have to be good at managing the crisis. We want to prevent the crisis from coming to our homeland. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that prevention is the only great security measure. Everything else is a risk taking, and that's we we went from such a strong posture of, of prevention on your watch when you were the acting uh, uh, border commissioner uh, under Donald yep. Trump, and it's amazing to watch it be disassembled in three years and see the jeopardy that we put our country into. I want to pivot to the ICE report for a second because not only were there, was there an expression in the beginning of the report that um, there is a crisis at the border. We're not going to lie. Things are difficult. We're making the best with what we can do. But they weren't trying to pretend there wasn't. But they put out this extraordinary number that we, for the first time in our history, we now have 6 million illegal aliens that are in the country waiting for uh, court appearances. A lot of those court appearances are going to be in the next decade. Um, how is it even possible? I, we heard Donald Trump and other people say, hey, we're going to do the largest mass deportation it's going to be pretty darn hard to get rid of 6 million people, isn't it? It is. Oh, make no mistake. And think about it. And we also know of those 6 million people that are in a backlog, we know that 85% of them won't qualify for asylum. It's a fraudulent or invalid asylum claim, not to mention the the so far the 1.8 million known gotaways just in the past 36 months. Oh, John, you're absolutely right. Make make no mistake. It's not going to be easy. But this is what I say. And I don't mean to be flip, but you know, how are you going to do it? I say, hey, one at a time. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we've got to start enforcing the law. It's not enough just to secure our borders and go after the cartels. We've also got to address the interior issues. If we don't send a message to those that not only are we going to prevent you from illegally entering, but if you sneak by us, we're going to apprehend you, and if you're here illegally, we're going to remove you. It's a whole-of-government approach. It's not, it's not just one aspect of the strategy. We've got to address each aspect of the strategy and each aspect of the issue. And, and you know, I'll steal a line from Tom Holman, and he's right, he's, is that what we can do and need to do is enact and implement the United States' largest deportation effort that we've ever conducted. It's going to take a whole-of-government approach, but we can do it, John. 
Yeah, I, I have a little doubt that we can. And also, once the message is said, hey, we're starting the roundup, we're starting the deportation yep. process, you might end up a few nights in the jail. That's uncomfortable. Uh, it's amazing how many people may voluntarily turn around and head across that border pretty quickly John, and get out of Dodge. John, you're absolutely right. We, and, and history has shown that. Every single time that yeah. we've actually enforced the law and put resources to it, that's exactly what we see. Yeah, no, it's uh, one of the most important things. I want to turn to one other issue because I think it's going to become one of the most important Supreme Court cases. Uh, it seems to me uh, the Biden administration is going to sue Texas and try to stop them from enforcing a law that says if you're an illegal alien on Texas land, we can arrest you as a violator because you're not in the country lawfully, therefore you're not in Texas lawfully. This opens up a debate that the Supreme Court last dealt with with Arizona a decade earlier on a similar law, though there are big differences in the two laws in terms of their legal rationale. Uh, do you think the Supreme Court could come down in a different direction uh, on uh, Texas and how important would it be if states' rights were withheld and upheld and states could begin arresting illegal aliens? Well, so it's good. You outlined it perfectly because U.S. v. Arizona really didn't address the constitutional issue at play uh, right now. Uh, that really addressed a very narrow uh, part of it that, that said that states cannot enforce federal immigration law. That's not what's right. going to be before the court now. This is going to be a constitutional showdown, right? This is going to right. be the fact that that Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution says that it's the federal government's responsibility to protect the states from threats outside its borders. And if they fail to do that, Article 1, Section 10, we, we refer to that as the state's self-help remedy, is that the states then can invoke that self-help remedy under the Constitution to step in and fill the role where the United States government fails to to protect its own state. That's what the governor is doing. So in essence, he won't be enforcing federal immigration law. He's going to he's availing himself as uh, of the constitutional self-help remedy. That's what's going to be at, at question here. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. And I, I have no doubt that Governor Abbott is going to be on the right side of this. Yes, I think that's exactly right. That's the change in there. There's a state law now that they're enforcing. They're not uh, using state uh, resources to force a federal law. That's going to be the big change here. Uh, I want to pivot to one last question. We had a Arizona state senator on our television show last week, and she related how she had tried to get a law passed in Arizona last uh, legislative session to outlaw or make it a crime if an American has a phone app that accepts cash from the cartels in return for moving someone across the border or moving them around in the United States to migrate around the United States after they come illegally across the border. Obviously, the governor in Arizona uh, uh, vetoed it again, but she told these extraordinary stories. You've got soccer moms now that are paying off their cars and their mortgages because they grab six or seven um, uh, illegal aliens over the course of the week, throw them in their minivan, uh, drive them across the border or drive them into a, a bus station uh, and uh, they're doing it with impunity. How important is it to create consequences for Americans, whether they're NGOs or just soccer moms, who are actually facilitating the human trafficking of illegal aliens into the country? John, look, I know it's a rhetorical question. You're spot on. And look, that's what's so important. That's exactly a significant part of the Trump-era multi-layer strategy. It was one of deterrence and consequences, right? First, you want to deter, you want to prevent, right? You want to stop the illegal aliens from actually happening. That's going to limit the cartel's ability to exploit them and, and then push drugs, criminals, and national security threats across. And, and when they are successful, if we come down and apply aggressive and stern 
consequences, that's an effective part of an overall multi-layer strategy. If you don't deter, you will fail. If you don't have consequences, you will fail. And as you said right now, the word is right, impunity. I mean, it's not just adults. We have minors, and the cartels are specifically targeting the minors on, on, on TikTok or whatever social media platform they're using. And why? Because they know in the United States, the laws prosecuting minors are basically non-existent. If you're a minor, you get caught smuggling, there's virtually nothing that's going to happen to you. And we have to reverse course if we're actually going to address the chaos and lawlessness at our borders. It was uh, over the holidays, I bumped into a police officer friend of mine from out of state. He was visiting in the Washington, D.C. area, and he said, I want to go back to the good old days of the border. I think he was referring to the days when you were in charge of the Border Patrol and President Trump was uh, in office and these common sense policies were there. The country was so much safer. Mark Morgan, you have been the siren warning of this moment. Uh, our country owes you a great debt of gratitude for all of the efforts you've done to get us educated. I think the American public are a lot smarter. They're not going to get bamboozled in this next election, aren't they? Well, I think that's right. And I think right now, the American people have woken up to, to a certain extent. And again, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Congressman Chip Roy. If right now yeah. the Republicans there's been no greater time. They've never had this much leverage right now to force the Democrats to actually reverse course on their open border policies. If they fail to take advantage of this, and if they don't pass, get 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 meaningful border security uh, changes with this new uh, with, with the, the, the the next budget proposal, and and if there's no meaningful changes on Southwest border, the Republicans are going to actually own this crisis in this last election year in 2024. That is a very sage warning, and it's very true. The American people sent the Republicans to Washington to get a job done. If they exactly. aren't going to get the job done, they're going to be they're going to get held responsible for it. That's one of the true right. of great politics. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. It's so great to kick off the year with you and all of your wisdom and all of your good ideas. We're going to be in in close contact because I know the next few weeks are going to be a very consequential moment in American history. We're so grateful to have your wisdom on the show all the time. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Nick Giordano, Nicholas Giordano, great political science professor and arbiter of common sense on college campuses that have been taken over by a lot of extremism. He'll react to the resignation of Harvard University President Claudine Gay and what comes next in the fight to get educators back to educating in students instead of indoctrinating. We'll have that right after these messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. 
higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. If you were watching the TV show last night, right in the six o'clock hour, you would have saw the breaking news that Harvard's president, yes, she was forced to finally resign. Claudine Gay, one of the shortest tenured presidents in the history of any Ivy League school and the shortest for sure at Harvard. Both questions of her ability to deal with anti-Semitism and intolerance on campus and her own failure to properly attribute information leading to questions of plagiarism in her own academic research. That's what did her in. But there's a fascinating dynamic in even how she resigned yesterday and the idea that both she and the university want to portray this moment as a moment of victimology instead of a moment of accountability and personal responsibility. Well, we've got the perfect first guest to dive into this momentous event. Nicholas Giordano is not only a political science professor extraordinaire, he's the host of one of my favorite podcasts, the PAS Report podcast. He's been calling out these schools for all of their insanity for a long time. And now I think the rest of the world is catching up to him. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Uh, Happy New Year. Good to have you on. Thank you for having me, John. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to the audience. The new year is off to a good start to restore academia to what it's supposed to be. How about that? Teaching people instead of indoctrinating them. What a a novel concept. Anyone who's listened to your show, Nicholas, knows of the ills that have hit these universities. And they go far beyond the Ivy League universities, but the Ivy Leagues are in a special class. The cures, the pushback for the first time seems to have begun to gain momentum in the second half of 2023. How big a moment is it that Claudine Gade had to step down from her post at Harvard? Well, this is huge. And Claudine Gay is the example of everything that's wrong, not just at Harvard University, but throughout the higher education landscape. I mean, the fact that it took over a month to get her to resign is pathetic in and of itself. But it really represents how these institutions have deviated away from academic values, things like meritocracy, scholarship, academic integrity, critical inquiry. And they replaced it with this diversity, equity, inclusion and social justice movement that has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with knowledge. And it has nothing to do with creating a productive citizenry. Instead, it's all based on this victimhood mentality, categorizing people as oppressor and oppressed, and lowering standards, essentially dumbing down our society. Yeah, it is remarkable. And there seems to be, and you've done a great job breaking this down on this podcast and on the TV show before, three elements of this, right? There's the victimology element, which is that your skin color determines your outcome. The second is 
uh, a sense of intolerance that it creates. Um, and then the third one, I think, at the end of the day, is it eliminates the meritocracy because at the end of the day, they don't want to create equality of opportunity. They want to create equity of outcome. Uh, all three of those, I think, have been traced very uh, brilliantly to the rise of anti-Semitism, to the r- rise of reverse uh, discrimination. Do you think that the academics who run these universities are in a position on the board of trustees or in the donor class now realize that DEI is at the root of a lot of failures in the academic world? I, I think that some of them are. Uh, others understand that the university system has created a pipeline of administrators that think exactly the same way Claudine Gay does. And when we look at it, you just brought up the idea of victimhood mentality and the, and the concept of race, the color of one's skin. If we just take a comparison of how Larry Summers was forced to resign from Harvard and Claudine Gray, Larry Summers stated that the, the reason there's more men involved in the STEM industries is because of the differences between men and women. And almost immediately when that speech came out, he was skewered and forced to resign. Here, Claudine Gay engages in the cardinal sin of academia. I mean, she plagiarizes 50 times. She doesn't condemn genocide. And over 500 faculty members at Harvard University and the Harvard board signs a letter supporting her, trying to get her not to resign. So I think while some may have their eyes open and realize that this DEI movement is toxic to higher education and education as a whole, I I do think that there's still a lot of people that believe the same thing. But what makes this situation so frustrating, if any of my students engage in plagiarism, they immediately receive an F. And if they engage in 50 counts of plagiarism, they could face severe academic disciplinary actions, including expulsion. Shouldn't we hold college presidents to the, the very same standard that we try and hold to students? And, and unfortunately, in this day and age, the answer is no, because it is based on that equity thing. They want to give Claudine Gay a pass simply because she's black. And they're now screaming racism when race has nothing to do with anything. I mean, the AP headline screaming that plagiarism is the new weapon of the what right wing is not only disgusting, it's also insulting to my profession a profession that I take very seriously. And and the fact that they're trying to chalk up the idea that it's okay to plagiarize simply based on the color of your skin is completely ludicrous. If that's the way our education system is going to be based, then we don't have an education system anymore. It really is remarkable. The AP headline, I used to work at the AP, worked there for two decades, but I don't recognize the AP of 2023. It has become much more like a propaganda organization than a true neutral news organization. That headline today had a lot of people talking about its um, uh, its biases and its silliness. Uh, there is an interesting dynamic because this is the second time, actually, in just six months that a major in prestigious university had to jettison a uh, president. Uh, Stanford University had to uh, fire Mark Tessier Levine uh, back in the summer uh, for similar things, which is that he, uh, there was questions of scientific fraud. He was cleared of that, but he didn't do a good job of uh, properly attributing information where he got it from in his studies. And he was thrown out and there was no sympathy, woe is me, 
victimology claim to this. It was, hey, he, he didn't live up to his standards as an academic. You're out of here. Is there a, did you see a double standard in the way that um, Stanford dealt with uh, President uh, Tessier Levine and the way Harvard has dealt with uh, Claudine Gay? Absolutely. And I'd also include the University of Pennsylvania president, uh, Elizabeth McGill, in this as well, because Elizabeth McGill testified alongside Claudine Gay. And when she refused to condemn genocide, four days later, she was forced to resign from UPenn. So we, we see the standards that exist where in certain cases, it, it, depending on the color of your skin, it's almost immediate where you are forced to resign. In other cases, it could exist for over a month. And it's even though Claudine Gay has resigned from the Harvard as president of Harvard, she still retains her faculty position and her huge salary, which is still unacceptable. She should not be in academics. When, when you commit plagiarism 50 times or more, that discredits. How could she go into a classroom and dictate to her students and tell her students to do their research and cite properly when she didn't do that herself? When the university joins in on the victimology claims that, hey, oh, well, this is an unfortunate thing and she's really being held to an unfair standard, does it weaken the institution itself and does it send the wrong student to the uh, wrong message to the students at the university? It's one thing for Claudine Gay to say it and play the victim card because she's trying to save face after a very difficult moment. But the university issued a statement that seemed to have almost the same sentiments, really unusual uh, message to the student body about accountability, I think. It does weaken the institution. I mean, Harvard, can we really classify them as the prestigious institution they once were? I mean, it's an embarrassment. Here you have a betrayal of academic principles that our universities are supposed to uphold, particularly the Ivy League universities. So unfortunately, though, they've been hijacked by these diversity, equity, inclusion overlords where they are willing to sacrifice the true meaning of education in order to push an ideological agenda and create an army of social activists. The good news is it's not working. Okay. Everyone is aware of what's going on. Everyone is aware of how far our institutions have fallen. And if the institutions want to regain their credibility, they have to make major reforms immediately. But we are seeing the impacts in real time. You have over 50% of employers that are now saying that they are dropping four-year degree requirements because they see the quality of student that these colleges are producing. You have parents and students reconsidering where they're sending their children. I believe that Harvard's early enrollment is down by 17%. You are seeing the donor class begin to pull their funding uh, to these institutions. So it is having a real impact. And I think that 2024 needs to be the year that this whole diversity, equity, inclusion agenda needs to be destroyed. It is an extraordinary moment for America to really kind of take back these captured institutions. And uh, it's clearly been driven a lot by donors, a lot by um those who are funding these universities, like, I don't want my money going to this. It does show that money uh, can have a, a profound effect along with, you know, the constant pressure of common sense. I think the two of those together, common sense and, and the donor class together, perhaps created this wave. The question is, how do we keep it going now? How do we get schools back to teaching people, not indoctrinating them? Uh, I think there was a story over the weekend that like 97% of 
Um, Harvard uh, faculty donors are uh, are donate only to Democrats. There's all of these different uh, signs that show there's an imbalance of thought, an imbalance of the makeup of uh, of the uh, people who are teaching and debating in these universities. How do we keep the movement going so that Harvard is the creme de la creme again someday in the future? Well, I think that the the movement should have began when we started to see anti-Americanism creep into college campuses, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, but I, I do believe that the way to keep the movement going is first to highlight these incidents, to call out the double standards, to call out the hypocrisy and show the, that these are frauds that are in these positions of power. The second thing is to have accountability, that if you remove enough of these college presidents, it sends a message to all future college presidents. Get the ideology off the campus. OK, have open dialogue, respect for academic inquiry and scholarship and bring back merit because that's the most important thing we need a society based on the idea of hard work putting in the work and then you get rewarded that's the way our society has advanced through 200 plus years of american history that's what led us to our growth and our success so if we get back to our roots we will succeed and i think that this is just the beginning yeah, you wrote a brilliant piece for campus reform. I think the headline was something like revamp education to stop the cultural rot. And it is this cultural rot. It's this erosion of the idea that hard work matters, that meritocracy is a good thing, that equality of opportunity is what's important, not equity of outcome. Uh, but in the midst of this, there is a secondary rot that I think has settled in. And it is the most shocking thing I ever thought. We saw it just before Christmas when Gen Z social media users got uh, bin Laden's letter to America trending, creating sort of a romanticism of one of the most heinous terrorists in American history. Then we had a recent poll showing uh, young people uh, were sympathetic not only to the September 11, 2001 attacks, but even more recently, the October 7th massacres that occurred in Israel, seeing some justification for them. Uh, this idea that Gen Z and maybe millennials as well have become terrorist sympathizers or find some affinity for the heinous human rights violating acts of a terrorist. How do we how do we reverse that? They're in the adult world now. They're in corporations. They're in government. They're in non NGOs. Uh, a remarkable sentiment to have been produced by a college um, industry. Well, it's disgraceful when you have one in five Gen Zers expressing sympathy for someone like Osama bin Laden. It uh, really shows how our education system has failed. And it shows how instilling the values of critical thinking no longer exists. I mean, here they read a letter by bin Laden, they just take it at face value and say, well, maybe he's right, uh, which is really disgraceful. Now, in my class, I noticed a real change. In 2006, when I taught about 9-11, the students were captivated by the lesson. I taught about the history of al-Qaeda, how it formed the targets throughout the 1990s, how 92.7% of all those that died at the hands of Islamic terrorism were actually Muslims, not Westerners. And the students were really engaged in the conversation. But in 2017, 2018, I started to notice a change. And then it dawned on me. These are students that were born in a post 9-11 world. They didn't live through 9-11. They didn't have the same emotional connection as those from 2006. And some of them viewed it as simply a historical event that happened the way maybe we see Pearl Harbor. Uh, so I have noticed a change. And because they don't have that emotional connection and because they haven't been educated properly, they're susceptible 
to the propaganda that's put out by the far left, by progressives, by terrorist organizations. And that's why you're seeing these sympathies that exist. Yeah, there was a fascinating um, study that came out. I think it was in 2017 or 2018. There was an audit done, and only 26 states include any mention of 9-11 in their public school curriculum. That means almost half the country's children go through an education system that doesn't even teach the momentous event of September 11th as part of the curriculum. And I think that number has gone down. I think it was 26 and 17. I think more recently, the number's down even lower, according to the 9-11 memorial. How important is it for states in state education uh, uh, leaders, the public superintendents, school superintendents, and others to insist that the 9-11 story be taught in school and the the true roots of terrorism be taught to children? I think that's critically important. I mean, when we look at 9-11, that transformed the United States. The the pre-9-11 world and the pre-9-11 America was actually much different. Uh, Once 9-11 occurred, that had a major transformation on our society where individuals freely gave up and willingly gave up some of their liberties because they wanted the government to provide more security. This was the largest expansion of government in our history, and, and it marked a profound change in American ideology, American philosophies. So I think it's extremely important to discuss the issue of 9 11 what sacrifices were made, what we gave up, and whether or not some of those sacrifices were worth it. Was the Patriot Act worth it now that we see it being used on ordinary Americans? Uh, It really is a shame that the states don't require 9-11 to be taught, the roots of terrorism to be taught, but also how our society has changed since 9-11. Uh, That is a great point. Uh, The balance between security and civil liberties is perhaps one of the most important debates we're going to have. It's going to be had with the renewal of the um, FISA uh, bill in the next 90 days. But uh, civil liberties and security and how they've been changed over the last two decades are perhaps a defining issue for our our country as, uh, as Congress and the presidency navigate them. Nick, you do such amazing work, uh, whether it's your writings, your speeches, uh, your daily TV appearances. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years, how blessed we've been, uh, we've had, we've been being able to get you on this show and get you on the television show and then realize that the rest of the world caught up to where you were years ago. You've been warning about this dynamic for so long. And I think now for the first time, large numbers of parents and boards of trustees are starting to wake up. Your contribution to making America better is so huge. And I just want to call that out. A lot of times, you know, we bring people on and they hear the person talk, but you've literally uh, started a conversation that was sorely needed. And it wasn't very popular when you started it. You, You faced a lot of resistance when you first started raising these hard questions, didn't you? I did. But to me, what I know is that the decline in the education system signifies the decline of a nation. And so that was always my fear. And I think we are now witnessing that in real time. And I have two young children. I would love for them to grow up in the America that I grew up in. Unfortunately, that's not happening right now. But that's why I do speak out, because the issue is that important. This is our future. And depending on the path that we could go down, uh, we are either going to maintain this idea of limited government and that the power really belongs to the people, or we are going to move closer and closer to the authoritarian society that we've been witnessing over the last couple of decades. I prefer the first road. So it's such an important issue that people need to pay attention to. 
And even though there may have been pushback at the beginning, I, I think that the majority of Americans are now starting to see that the education system is fundamentally broken and needs serious reforms. Yeah, no, they have. And in large part, they see it because of the great work you and campus reform and others have done for years tirelessly, often being mocked in the beginning, but not mocked anymore. And I, I will say this, uh, there, uh, every generation of America has endeavored to hand a country over to its children and grandchildren that was better. The last uh, generation has really muddled that question of whether we're going to handle a better, uh, hand a better country over to our next generation. Your motivation, your children, you've, you've done your part to really make sure that we try to hand over a better country than we got. And uh, for that, we are very, very grateful at the beginning of this new year. Nicholas Giordano, it's a great honor to have you on this show. I mean that sincerely. Thank you so much. We're going to keep going. we got a lot more truth to tell and a lot more stories to educate the American people. But thank you so much. We'll be sure to get you on. I have a funny feeling there'll be more shifts in the tectonic plates of the education system in the next few months. So we'll, we'll be sure to get you back on. You as well. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, it is time to do AMAC Wednesday, one of my favorite moments of the week. Bobby Charles is going to join us. When he joins us, guess what? We're going to be talking about so many of the world's big events. Now, before, while you're in the commercial break here, do me a favor. Go to amac.us slash just news. AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S, stands for United States, slash just news. And go sign up and become an AMAC member if you haven't. It's a great way to thank them for their support of just the news. It's a great way to get political intelligence discounts on so many services, access to services and products that you can't get anywhere else. They're the conservative alternative to AARP, and you would be greatly served by joining me in taking out a five-year membership. It's the best investment I've made in the last year. I say that often. Please go join. Say thank you to them. Let them know that you listen to Bobby Charles and Rebecca Weber and all the great folks at AMAC right here on Justin News and John Solomon Reports. And you want to say thank you for the great work. All right. When we come back, Bobby Charles, that's right, the national spokesman for AMAC, former assistant secretary of state, one of the smartest guys I know in Washington. He'll be here right after these messages. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals. 
ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So much going on in the world today. And I always like to bring in this next guest because when things are complicated, when they're frustrating, when we have a hard time maybe putting into perspective what's going on today in the course of history, we turn to Bobby Charles. He's not only the national spokesman for AMAC and our regular on AMAC Wednesdays, he's also one of the most learned people I've ever met in this town. Former congressional staffer, chief counsel for the House Oversight Committee. He was a clerk in a federal court and, of course, an assistant secretary of state under President George W. Bush. And we're so lucky every time he joins us. Bobby, happy new year. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. You always you always make me feel good with those introductions. <laughs> They're all true. That's the best part about them. <laughs> well, all right. All right. So I want to turn right away to the border today because it seems to me that today is a pretty important day. Over the last two days, Justin News had two big numbers come out. The first is 6 million. That's the number that ICE reported on December 31st as the total number of illegal aliens now on U.S. soil waiting for some sort of a court appearance. It's an all-time high, smashes every record known in the history of the United States. And then, of course, we heard last night uh, that the final totals for uh, the December illegal border crossings crossings exceeded 300,000 for the first time in our nation's history. Another all-time record. The border's aflame. The numbers can't lie. They're there. And today, Mike Johnson is down at the border. Uh, Mark Green, the Homeland Security uh, Committee chairman, announced that he's going to start impeachment proceedings on January 10th. It seems as though the counteroffensive to the Biden border policies have finally begun in earnest. Your take on where we are. Well, John, I guess, you know, I guess I look at this having spent time both on the border and working on issues tied to the border for 30 years. And I see this as an accelerating national security threat. I think it is it is an explosive national security threat. I think there's a there's an argument which we cannot give into that uh, the horses are all out of the corral. Uh, The reality is we have billions of people that would love to get into this country many of them terrorists, drug traffickers, criminals, and uh, the reality is we can't let that happen. The reason this has happened, and ultimately it's going to be November, uh, impeachments notwithstanding, it's going to be November when Americans turn the dial and get get control of their country back again. But the reality is this is a, uh, you know, this is this is the product of redefining asylum, which historically, both internationally and domestically, was an individuated, well-founded fear of persecution from the country in the country of origin. So if you felt that you were being persecuted because you were Jewish and you were in Guatemala for some reason, or you were being persecuted because you were Colombian and you were in Ecuador and someone was coming after you for some individuated reason, you could make an asylum claim. That asylum claim would be timely adjudicated, and you would ultimately either be sent back to that country because the claim was false, or you would 
you would be allowed into this country as effect, effectively an asylee and a refugee. That whole thing has been thrown right out the window because historically you also had to wait in a different country, in a third country, if you were coming through that country. So where do most of all, indeed virtually all, of those who show up on our doorstep at the southern border have to come through Mexico? And unless they're going to have a maritime entrance, but bottom line is they come through through the southern border. Mexico is not the country of origin in virtually all those cases. It is not the country that they're claiming that they have to be treated as an asylum by. Therefore, they should never be entering this country short of, of – they're not in a country that has caused them individuated persecution. So they are supposed to, under international and domestic law, stay there. Well, Biden ripped that apart and said, no, just come right on in. We're going to make you an asylee under a very loose definition. We can just say that you might like to be in America, and we're going we're gonna to assign you a hearing two, three, four, five years down the road that you can come back to, and we expect you're going to just show up in case – you might not be an asylee and we can then deport you. How many people are going to do that? Nobody does that. Some 90% now just stay away. Every one of the 517, and there are only 517, immigration judges who are administrative court judges has a backlog of 4,500 petitions, all of which cost typically the American taxpayer money to be litigated because the other thing that the left has done is they've given due process rights to non-citizens, which of course is another real outrage. But at the end of the day, this is a, this is a tsunami. We, we are experiencing the world coming through our southern border and increasingly our northern border crossings. And what do they want? They not only want you know America, they want all the benefits that they can get, and they get them immediately under the Biden administration, which is shipping them from you know, Maine to Oregon to, to, to Wyoming. I mean, they're, they're shipping them all over the country, particularly at the dark of night. Not only is all that happening, but you're bringing in now record numbers of illegal drugs, uh, Chinese fentanyl, Mexican fentanyl and meth, cocaine, heroin. You're, you're swamping small towns in America with these drugs. You're killing more than 100,000 young Americans every single year, numbers that were nothing like that. They were 10 percent of that 10 years ago. And so, John, you're, you're seeing a disintegration of the domestic security, the personal security and the national security as a result of giving up the traditional, normal, legal, everyday understanding of how we protect our southern border. Yeah, there's never been a moment like this in history, and we've never felt more vulnerable. And I, not only is it, it's not just a feeling, we are more vulnerable. Every law enforcement, FBI, Border Patrol, ICE agent tells me that the second I see them. First thing they say is, you're less safe today, John, you're less safe. Well, just, 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 just let me add one footnote, and that is that 50% of those that have come in in the last three months have come from the Eastern Hemisphere. And that's either the, the, the Middle East or the Far East or North Africa. And we know what's going on in those places. We know the aspirations of those people. And we know the terrorist groups that have been highly active in those areas, not just Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad and some of the subgroups across Northern Africa and uh, the Middle East. But we also know that China has a strong disposition to want to put their people over that border. So, John, we, we are facing terrorist threats as well. Yeah, no, it's very, very real. Very, very real. And all of these military age men coming from uh, unfriendly countries like China also raising a lot of questions, even if they're not on the terrorist watch list. The profile certainly raises a common sense alarm to all of our 
wise intelligence in, in law enforcement folks. I want to ask about a dynamic. All right. So we hear in the last few days that there's uh, some progress made on a border deal. Even Chuck Schumer acknowledges that something's got to get done. That's a big change for him. But um, at the same time, Mark Green today came out, House Homeland Security uh, uh, Committee chairman, and said, hey, we're starting impeachment next Wednesday, January 10th. And some people say, well, if you're negotiating a border deal, why would you start the impeachment at the same time? But this is actually a very important pressure in accountability lever that hasn't been used before by uh, Republicans. How important is it? And is there any uh, conflict and message of saying, hey, we want to negotiate, but we may also impeach your Homeland Security Secretary? Yeah, there's no conflict because we are a country of laws, not people, uh, that we have miscreants at the top of certain agencies, departments or anywhere in the government uh, has no effect whatsoever on whether or not the laws should be enforced. So obviously the laws should be enforced, the money should be appropriated, and it should be properly applied to protect the border, regardless of who sits at the top of that agency, whether it's the current head of the department or a uh, uh a uh, you know a stand-in and uh, so i think they can be pursued simultaneously you know the constitution we're not uh, we're not a system of government which is a no confidence system we're not a parliamentary system in great britain you can throw all the people out on a all of these leaders out at the executive branch on a, a no vote of no confidence we don't have that we only have a few <clears throat> tools oversight is one um, uh, you know, bringing, hopefully having people at the Department of Justice, and we, we have our own problems there, but who will, who will bring charges against those who get criminal referrals, impeachment as a removal uh, tool for everybody up to and including a president. Um, we only have a certain number of tools, so we should be using, I think, every tool in our tool chest. We have a limited period of time to get this right. We should be using authorization legislation, appropriations legislation, criminal referrals, and impeachment, uh, period. Yeah, so very important to have all the tools in the toolbox. When the crisis is this large, you got a tool, pull out every tool you got to try to help the American people. I want to flip to the other uh, story that I think is dominating people's attention now for the first time. I think people understand now the magnitude of the uh, corruption, the magnitude of the national security risk of what the Biden family was doing, shaking down these people in unfriendly countries, often unsavory characters who had legal issues or corruption issues surrounding them, making millions off them uh, on deals that sometimes were not in the U.S. interest. For instance, there was a deal uh, between this Chinese company that Hunter Biden was working for and Rosneft for China and Russia to work together, something we've never wanted as a national security uh, dynamic. Uh, there's another one where uh, the Russian, uh, excuse me, the Chinese company that Hunter Biden was working with, CFC China, was involved in bribing African leaders to try to gain access to the marketplace. The federal government had FISA warrants on the very people that uh, Hunter Biden was engaging with. The federal prosecutors had clear evidence that the very business partners that Hunter Biden was talking to, meeting with, emailing with, having phone calls with, were involved in a bribery scheme involving Foreign Crop Practices Act violations in Africa with this Chinese company. It seems to me there should have been a defensive briefing for Joe Biden and his family telling him, hey, stay away. You're, you're jeopardizing national security. Your thoughts on whether there should be such a briefing. And secondly, should Congress go get that information? Do the American public need to know whether Joe Biden was warned or not about the type of people his family was doing business with? Absolutely. And I think it, it becomes a proof, John. I mean, they, one of our tools on the tactical side is a subpoena. 
Um, and that's a subpoena for documents and for people. And we know that um, this administration, and in particular the Bidens personally, have resisted uh, vehemently uh, being subject to rule of law as it comes to compliance with subpoenas. Um, and the briefing obviously is very important because it's in, indicative of what was known uh, and, the, and the conscious decision to ignore the national security threat posed by what they were doing. But look, greed, uh, greed is morally blind. And uh, th this is how Joe Biden operates. This is how Joe Biden and all those around him operate. They are uh, they believe that their ends, whatever they may be, whether it's concentration of power and some sort of larger ideological end, or if it's just personal greed and, and uh, profiteering, uh, they believe that the ends justify the means, which is to say they they are accountable to no one. So I, I think, frankly, this this House, because we have the majority and only the House, this House needs to step up, use the subpoena, use interviews. I mean, when I did the Waco investigations now some years ago, we uh, we interviewed or subpoenaed and deposed more than 98 people. And uh, we did it in a fairly fast period of time. So what you do is you deploy your council assets. If you need more, you get them and you go after them with with the with the notion that everything depends on whether you can get at the truth. And that's really in a democracy. That's how it is, John. Everything, as you know, you're, 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 you're a premier investigative reporter. If those who have the ability to hold uh, ne'er-do-wells and criminals and those who disserve the national interest don't use their power to that end, then they become complicit, by, complicit, even though they don't mean to be, because they're not using the power at their fingertips. And so right now we need, as Republicans, and I, I frankly, I would hope some Democrats would join in wanting to see the, com the, the country's moral compass uh, restored, and in particular restored to the White House. Yeah, man, I think that's exactly right. Uh, last question I want to throw at you. Uh, oh, actually, this, this one actually is tied into the border, but it, I, I forgot to ask it earlier. When you look at what the Homeland Security uh, Department did yesterday through the Justice Department to the United States Supreme Court saying, hey, we want to allow our federal agents to cut through the razor wire fence that Texas lawfully installed on its border, what message does that send to other states, to anyone who feels threatened by the illegal migration wave at the border? And how do you think the Supreme Court will react? You know, the Supreme Court has a lot in front of them, John, uh, right now. Probably one of the most momentous uh, terms uh, in the history of the country, certainly in the last hundred years. That case, just one more example of the fact that this administration deprioritizes the protection of average Americans. And, you know, I work, I work, John, with nonprofits as well as others in a daily basis. And AMAC, of course, carries, cares a great deal about older Americans, but cares about families at large. And, you know, families are under unbelievable pressure as a result of things like this border, uh, basically uh, abdication of responsibility at the border. I, I work with families and I, I know them personally. I don't work with them in a financial way who are struggling with kids who, who have found themselves wrapped up in fentanyl, uh, even in rural Maine. And, and, and so the bottom line is this administration has put every town, every county, every state at enormous risk, not just because their infrastructure is weighed down with new education expenses, new health expenses, new welfare expenses, new housing expenses, public safety issues in the in the center cities as well as around uh, the suburban areas but they have opened the door to the kind of uh behaviors that that they were actually sworn to protect people against so you know i i don't know where that case will go i know that this this supreme court <laughs> the left is very unhappy with this supreme court because they're textual they're originalists they literally take the law only as the law is written they don't invent they don't they're not activists 
But God knows there's an awful lot on the plate of this court, and uh, I, I just hope and pray that they are able to um, get at the big issues, decide them the right way, and start helping the rest of us protect the country. Yeah, that is such an as- uh, important, important aspect. Last question. Uh, there's been some reporting in the last couple of days. Al-Qaeda has ramped up its American magazine, which was dormant for many years. It's talking about attacking the grid in New York, attacking the subway in New York, attacking airlines with bombs again. Uh, We didn't hear much from al-Qaeda for a long time, certainly not while Donald Trump was president. It seems like all the terror groups, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, uh, uh, Iran as the largest national terror sponsor in al-Qaeda, all thriving under this president. How concerned should we be that al-Qaeda, particularly it's al-Qaeda and Arabian Peninsula branches, really active in the propaganda side for the first time in many, many years? Well, I think the propaganda piece, John, is indicative. I mean, when you have the head of the FBI himself admitting that uh, we have unprecedented levels of terror threat in this country coming from external sources, finally, they are ponying up and recognizing where reality is. Uh, and you see the reports, uh, on particularly those coming over the terror watch list, coming over the uh, uh, hundreds Tonight, over the southern and border. Unsettled- and, and, and then if you go one step further, And you look at this lone wolf threat, uh, the idea that they're trying to trigger uh, any sleeper cells or individuals that consider themselves uh, terrorists in this country. It's a serious issue. It's an issue that we need to be, uh, I think all of us need to be more vigilant than we have been. I think we need to recognize the next 12 months are extremely important months for the country. So I think if we can keep our balance and we can stay vigilant and we can shut off any of these terror threats that emerge in the last 12 months of this administration, God willing, I think we'll be okay. But I also think that, uh, the, you know, it's like it's like predators anywhere in the even in the wild, you know, predators look for the weakness and then they prey on the weakness. And if we project weakness, which the Biden administration has in Afghanistan, the Far East, the Mideast, you know, trying to appease Iran, trying to appease Venezuela, it, it, it's a it's a signal to those who want to do us harm that this is a good time to try. So we just have to redouble our efforts to be protective and uh, vigilant. Said very, very well. Uh, as we were speaking, the House Speaker Mike Johnson just spoke, and he said the border is a disaster by design, a disaster by design by Joe Biden. Really echoing the words you just shared so wisely with us, uh, Bobby. It's always a great honor. We value our uh, partnership with AMAC so much. At the beginning of the block, I talked to everyone about how important it is to join AMAC. Folks, go to amac.us slash justnews, AMAC. A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. Go match me. I got a five-year membership. The best investment I've ever made. Go get it. You're going to save money. You're going to get involved. You're going to be alongside great patriots like Bobby Charles right now. Uh, every aspect of the AMAC community is a benefit to you and your country. So go join today at amac.us slash Just News. Bobby, as always, we love, I could talk all day to you. We love this conversation. We look forward to next week's already, but uh, thanks for so much wisdom on a very busy news day. Absolutely, John. And I do encourage people, if you if you feel a little bit powerless, if you feel like the world is moving past you at a rate of speed or moving backwards at a rate of speed that, that upsets you, AMAC is a way for maybe a dollar and a quarter a month to be able to step up and to make a difference in your own state 
locally as well as nationally. And I, I, they live every single day by the principle of trying to restore to this country uh, the, the kind of security and the kind of uh, tradition and confidence that we historically have had. So I encourage people to go, go as you said, John, to the site and, and join up because this is a great organization. I go to bed at night feeling better about America just because I'm a member. Yeah, I agree. And everyone who joins uh, instantly knows what you're talking about. Once you join, you realize, wow, this is an amazing organization. It's actually more than a group. It's more than a service. It is a community. And um, you're going to find a lot of like-minded, common-sense Americans fighting for the future of this great country. And that's what uh, AMAC does so very, very well. Bobby, many thanks. Happy New Year to you. We'll be sure to grab uh, grab some minutes with you next week. But until then, thank you and God bless you. Sounds great. Bye-bye now. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Hey, don't forget AMAC Wednesday, something you can do for your country for just the news for me. Go sign up and become a member at AMAC, amac.us slash just news. That's how you're going to get Bobby Charles 24-7, not just once a week here on the John Solomon Reports podcast. You can get him every single day. That's a pretty good deal. Plus, incredible discounts on products and services and travel, rental cars, hotels, airlines, Great insurance products, including if you're in the Medicare age group, Medicare products, AMAC has it all. It is not just a service. It is a community of common sense Americans. You should join them there. The common sense alternative, conservative alternative to AARP. All right. That wraps up the Wednesday edition of John Solomon Reports. Keep an eye on justinnews.com. We'll have you covered all night with the developments on the Jeffrey Epstein document release. Uh, what went on at the border? Marjorie Taylor Greene's going to be on the TV show. We'll have her on the podcast tomorrow. Watch out. She's got some things to say. We'll cover all that. Be sure to be checking out all of the great coverage we have at Just News. All right. That wraps us up. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now.